Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is my weekly show where I bring to you a story from a recruitment owner, uh, an advisor, a supplier, an investor, a thought leader, an innovator around the world who's prepared to give up some of their time to share not only what they're up to, the things they've been through, but also where they're heading, their, their vision for how the recruitment industry is going to transform and evolve in this digital economy. Um, this week, uh, I'm really excited. I'm joined by James Johnson, who's the founder of District 4. Um, I'm going to let James explain District 4 because I think it's a relatively interesting and, and new concept. But I met James a couple of years ago at the, I think it was the TRN event, he absolutely, like 2017. Um, James is the former CEO um, of Nicole Curtin Group. Um, and we've kept in touch, we've had various meetings and... Uh, I've always been fascinated by Nicole Curtin as a brand and, and James's um, story. So I'm, I'm super excited to find out more and share that with you guys today. So James, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Sean. Um, Pleasure to have you on. Um, James, it is lockdown. Um, it's, a, it's a funny question, like how, how are, how's life? But um, what's going on for you at the minute? Where are you based? Tell us what, what life's like for you right now. Uh, life's life's pretty intense at the moment. So, uh, launching District Four, uh, got got a new puppy in lockdown. That's a. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people can sympathise with that. So that's both great and very time consuming. Uh, growing the obligatory lockdown beard. So no, yeah, you, I'm noticing you. When I remember you, you had like you know a nice corporate haircut, specs on, no beard. Now you've got the beard. You have got this mullet growing. What's going on? You you letting it all hang out. Probably, probably midlife crisis, Sean. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's just uh, my my fiance is a, a dentist, not a not a not a hairdresser, and it's kind of a just just playing around. I like it. I like it. Get it straight on camera. Um, this, <laughs> I know. I probably should. Everyone thinks I'm some. You know, I'm obsessed with my hair. Mine just. I just wake up. I look like this, James. I'm. I'm very. Yeah, I know. I just literally <laughs> don't need to do anything with it. Um, Hashtag blessed. That's it. That's all it is. Uh, but. Look for the for the listeners' benefit. I've mentioned who you are, but can you just give us a, a bigger, a better overview of you and uh, and what you do? Okay, sure. So I suppose now I'm the founder of Forks. I launched uh, July last year, um, and that is a community of expert recruiters. And the whole idea is to pull together great individual recruiters who are their own boss, and then just collaborating. They can provide a better service for clients and just a yep. more fulfilling life for themselves while earning uh retaining much more of what they of what they built um and before that as you as you mentioned i was ceo of, of uh, neil curtain group or the hive um so yeah a bit, bit of a change yeah so we'll get into all that there's loads you know loads to, to find out tell us a story though so nickel curtain where did it all start for f start with for you um was it your am i right in believing it was your father's business yeah, so he, he started it in 1999. Right. Um, I was I was out in Asia working for a multinational called Jardines, um, yeah. doing business troubleshooting, and then he asked me to come back in 2009 to help out. Uh, did that for a year, uh, then left set up a sort of a tech startup, and then I sort of got pulled back into it uh, when he had a double heart bypass. Um, although he was never actively, he was never actively involved in the business um, so much. He was more his chair figure, um, and then went hands on probably in about 2014-15. So you'd never worked um, in recruitment before. Never been a recruiter. Never worked in recruitment. But to be fair, when I was at Jardines, I worked in seven different industries. My final one was uh, a heating as an engineering business in the Philippines, selling air conditioners. So um, <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that you need to be a functional specialist to, to, to run a business. In fact, that's what I was trained to do, which is like how just to be a manager, how to generally fix businesses. And actually, they're pretty much the same. I mean, each industry is different, but I think we'd like to play up how different every industry thinks they're unique and every industry isn't, in my experience. Wow. Okay. That's a big point. To Jardines, why do I know that name? Are they connected to like the insurance industry? So they own lots of businesses around the country. They're about they're 200 years old now and they have about 130,000 people. Um, they own Jardine Line Thompson, the insurance. That's, that's who I they, used to recruit for, yeah. Back in right. The they had Jardine Fleming, the bank back in the day. They also own Mandarin Oriental Hotels. They own franchises like Manning's, Welcome Supermarkets, most of central Hong Kong. They're, so you're, they're you're all. 
your role for them was what business say that again what oh, you were doing so i was on a, a management program and, and they trained us how to like basically business troubleshoot like go into any of their different businesses and uh, either grow it or fix it right okay so there was no specific discipline within that it was going and was it always technology related problems or people change or Man, it was man, management as a specialism, basically. They trained us in like the whole range, like HR, finance, sales, um, the idea being you need to understand everything in order to, to fix it. Um, but businesses are basically pretty simple, and they, wow. they, all work, they all work pretty much the same with you make slightly it different. Sound, you're making it sound so simple. Everyone listening is going, oh, mine's not simple, James. Mine's a nightmare. <laughs> I, you know, I've only got seven recruiters, and it's a fucking nightmare. So I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, I get it. conceptually <laughs> yeah yeah i get that so okay so your dad is a chair chair figure decides that he wants you to come in what hmm. what was that like like what paint a picture for people what what was the business like when you when you took over as the ceo what what was the business like at that point hmm, I, I to be fair i didn't take over as ceo when i first came no. back i, I came the first time i was there i was kind of like doing a change role like it was a temporary head of change role to help and see what what we need to change that was around sort of the time of the financial crisis so troubleshooting um, a little yeah. bit um and then when i came back the second time i came back in a non-exec chair role and then that kind of morphed into an exec role over the space of time um but i, I think i think the reason why i stayed in it is i as i just i've always believed that business is about having the best people like Basically, in any in any business you're in, you're only as good as your people. And recruitment ultimate is the ultimate people business in terms of we our, our product is people and our businesses are entirely people. There is there is almost no more people business in the world. Yeah. Um, and I've always been excited about the idea of what you can do differently. And I just think in recruitment, like, and I think it's really changed since I first came in. I remember when I first came in, like really cookie cutter websites, no idea of personal brand uh everyone in these very bland offices like no idea of like like employee values and stuff and in the last 10 years just the transition in terms of the belief in brand and what brand really means and how to treat people and these concepts of diversity customer experience like I re i've really seen the industry evolve and that's been really exciting yeah. um and, and that's really what drives me is that the sense of innovation change pace and what while keeping people at the very center of what you do so what when you took up when did you actually take over the ceo role and what year was that 2014 i think 2014 2015 right. right so we're talking about six seven years ago so what mm. paint a picture for the business then so what did you walk into in that role what was it what did it look like well it, it was a good business at the time like uh it had just it had been recognized in like the sort of best company to work for. Um, had some really good clients. Like it worked with lots of the major banks like Barclays, HSBC. Um, it was quite UK centric, but did have like a, a, a small bit, uh, office in Zurich and in uh, Singapore. Um, but I, I, would say, I would say good, good business. Um, doing okay how many, but I think, how many how many staff and what industries would did they operate so largely tech uh largely banking tech um and i think at the time there was around 50 50 people probably most predominantly based in the uk yeah so what if you don't do the recruitment bit and you've never done the recruitment bit so what yeah. how do you how do you lead a business like that what's the first thing you did like, how did you get your head around it uh <laughs> as a bit of a truism, but fundamentally, there are always. If you ask people, they know the answers. Like I, I don't, think, wow. I don't believe as a leader, you 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 have to have all the answers yourself. And every business has talent in it. Um, and I think it's just about being having intellectual curiosity and asking lots of questions, while also being humble enough to know you don't have all the answers. And actually, people around you will bring that expertise. And I, I don't think I've ever thought. I've never expected to be the the best recruiter in the recruitment business because I've never been a recruiter. So I'm, I'm never bringing that sense of like, I'm, I, I'm listen to me because I'm a better recruiter than you. But I think what I've always become of, I do bring a skill set from outside, which is like, I know how to run a business. I know how to create a strategy. I know how to, I think, bring people together. And, I, and I've, so I've, I think I've brought what I bring 
and I'm conscious that I'm not trying to bring what I don't have. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So what, I mean, a lot of that stuff is kind of like business buzzwords, right? You know, bring people to what, what, what I'm trying to picture in my head is the, the, like the actual things you did just because there's a lot of people out there that are running recruitment businesses that are, you know, they've got aspirations of being a bigger business. And I think a lot of people in this sector specifically suffer from, I was a great recruiter. So you've got to do it like me. And hmm. They struggle to grow businesses because it's all about them. It's, it's all about me. I'm the CEO. I'm the founder. I'm the recruiter. I'm the superstar, superhero. And so what they end up doing is creating mini versions of themselves that feed off them, That, but they never let the business grow beyond them. Hmm. So you, you had the opposite of that because you couldn't be that guy. So you, what, what tactics, what things did you do? Okay that people can learn from. And we'll get to District 4 soon. I just, I'm just really interested in this. Yeah, no. I mean, I, well, one thing I would say, I definitely made loads of mistakes. Like I definitely, looking back on the time, like I definitely challenged too much and I definitely made too many changes in, in an attempt to like innovate and some things that I sort of pushed to take out because I was like, there's a better way of doing this. Actually, after a time, go, actually, there's probably a way of doing it. So can you remember an example of that? Yeah, I think I think one of the key things for me is that coming from outside recruitment, this is the idea of customer focus. Like, you, like you start with what your customer wants. Like, w w I brought in Net Promoter Score. Like, I think it was in about 2015. Where like, a lot of people talking about it, and we changed some of our metrics around that. We created a metric called ASR, which is about how many customer problems you solved rather than to the deal values you did. Um, and I think the thinking behind that was correct in terms of really trying to make it very customer focused rather than kind of short term sales. Because I believe that is the way you create longer term value. But ultimately, recruitment is there is a very strong sales engine to it. And I think that I pushed to take out too many of the sales elements, um, which subsequently had to be brought back in. So and, and I think I pushed some of those through against the advice of some of my of some of my senior sales guys at the time. And in time again, I would have, I would have listened to some of those so piece of advice. So def there's definitely learnings in terms of not knowing anything can be a positive, but it can also be a, a, a disadvantage as well. So yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that. But in terms of like sort of a general game plan, I think my perception was that at the time, I think that has changing. There was recruitment wasn't as, as professional a sector in terms of where it was set up in terms of yeah. the systems in terms of people it was kind of like this perception that and i've seen this a lot of like sales organizations i saw it when i was running what not running was in so the motor group like there's a perception like the sales guys sit on the showroom and it's kind of they get all the resources they need and then you stick finance in a cupboard somewhere like and you don't you don't spend any money on that and it's kind of not yeah. refurbed for like 10 no years windows. they got like one kettle between them yeah we don't need like, window they don't need windows they, they don't even need tea no. just shut the door <laughs> no exactly and i think if you're going to grow a scalable business one thing we've been looking to sell a business from it i know a lot of people care about is that if your business isn't secure and your processes aren't good no one's going to buy your business because they're just afraid of what's going to jump out the woodwork yeah so particularly when you start scaling a business internationally, you've got to put a much more complex sort of systems and people and there's investment that goes into that that I think some people shy away from. And now, if I look into what I, I, I probably tilt the balance too much again, looking back on it between, I think I've come to learn that in a recruitment business, you really do need your, sale, your, your recruiters to be the heroes. And I think I probably brought like something like, I used to call them business services. Because I, I don't like the idea of like back office. I think it's kind of pejorative. But like, I probably tilted the balance too far in terms of I empowered business services in some in some degrees to the expense of my sales team, which I think they found demotivating at times. Yeah. So again, I think there's a balance that I've I've learned there over time in terms of I think it's really important to have a really strong empowered support team, but ultimately your your sales team have to be the heroes, and everyone has to. Has to, has to let them be the heroes. Yeah, it's a different. It is a different business. To uh, you know, most companies have products and marketing and communications and technology and design or whatever. They have all these different divisions. Sales is just one of them. Whereas recruiters are ninety nine percent salespeople often the time, and the bigger agencies might have a you know a thirty percent back office or whatever. But it's still, you know, you're still dealing with a full floor of front office people that is just not like many other. There's other. There's there's transferable or similar businesses, but not that many um 
I totally think. One thing I've realized as well is that, you know, when you build a vision for salespeople, it's, it can be quite clear, you know, the, the task orientated, commission orientated, growth orientated, entrepreneurial, but building, how do you build that vision? How do you combine the vision for the non-sales people? What, what's in mm. it for them? Because often they're not earning the big commission. They're not getting the holidays. They're not getting the billers lunches. Like, coming from a non-recruiter, how did you manage that to, to create that everyone's bought into a mission or a vision as opposed to just making it all only about sales? Well, I think you can involve non-sales people in some of the sales incentives, which isn't always a popular view, but I think it, I think it can be quite powerful, the sense of sort of one for all. Um, I think you have to accept a higher degree of churn than I, than I would like in a support team, because I think everyone does get to the point where they're like, sales are making all the money, they're getting all the recognition, or, or most of, I can't take it anymore. And, I, and I've seen that play out over time and time again. It's kind of like, because I, I really honestly think that the support teams work just as hard. It's a different role, there's less stress in terms of, I need to do a deal this month, but there's certainly like, I need to get things done by certain deadlines. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think over time that becomes wearing for people that sense of we're both working really hard and I'm slightly I'm 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 underappreciated. So I think it's one of the things I've struggled with in in this in this sector is just this acceptance that there probably is a higher rate of churn, both on sales and on support staff for different reasons than I'd probably like in terms mm. of because I think to build a really great culture and really great business, you need, retention is really important. Yeah, but there are strong like structural reasons why that's really hard in a traditional recruitment business yeah yeah i completely agree and then you went down a multi-brand group uh, sort of approach didn't you so the nickel curtain group became the the entity that then held other so tell us a bit about the migration and how that that looked a couple of years ago Hmm. well i think that so nickel curtain as as it stood at the time was really quite sort of tech into financial services focused and we'd made efforts to get wider than that but our brand was really was really known for that and that sector definitely went through changes in terms of margin erosion sort of more on site like there, there were definitely like sort of market challenges in that sector um and so it felt like we had a good platform in terms of we had a good support structure we had we could support a much bit we had a support structure that could support a much bigger business and so there really was a sense of like strategically that we really need, at its very basic, we need more billing heads on this infrastructure. Like we could support, I mean, we felt that we could support another 100, 150 billing heads on our existing structures without adding too much more in terms of cost. Because once you've got an FD and once you've got an HRD and once you've got like, really you're just scaling up through adding more junior headcount. So yeah. it's it becomes much more profitable once you grow to a certain size. And you see this a lot, I think, in our sector where business is going to get caught in this middle ground where they're kind of, they're migrating from small through to medium. They put in these structures to support it because no longer can you run it at 40 people like you at 20. Yeah. But suddenly that's a lot of cost to be adding in for 40 people. So in many ways, the most profitable group businesses, about some of them are actually about 10 people big because you've got yeah. almost no, no infrastructure. Yeah. And you've just got billers. You've got to make a decision, don't you? You've got to make a decision at that point. Are you happy with that? Or you've got to suck it up, build it, to then lay on top of it, I think. But you've got to get beyond a certain size before you get that profitability back. I mean, I really think you dip from that point down to quite a long way past it. What are the, the, like, triggers or milestones, you think, that where do people hit where it starts to dip and then where do they start to come back up, if you can generalise? I mean, it really depends on people's strategy and I'm, I'm not about so i think as soon as you start going international as soon as you start going multi-office that that number starts changing but if you can stay in a single office in a single location i think that is the most efficient structure that you can have because you get you don't get duplication management you don't get duplication of office costs um so i'd really if i was building out from scratch i would keep a traditional group business, I would try and stay single location for as long as possible. But um, in terms of in terms of like headcount, headcount, where, do, so, where yeah, where that's what usually NFI and headcount. What are the two? What are the triggers where you're like right? Once you reach say thirty staff, 
you're going to go on a bit of a dip for a bit. And then when you get back up to 56, from your experience? I would say once you start getting past 15, you're going to need to start putting in maybe some some more, some more, not a lot, but a little bit. Like it's a bit more complex. I mean, there's probably like a 10 to 15 number where you've got like a really strong founder. He's probably, a, he or she is a superstar recruiter. Yeah. yeah. They've got people around them who can support them. You've probably got some of the, probably some of the people they've known before. That's probably a, that, that is a really profitable position because you've got no. There's loads of them. There's absolutely like, like your founder's still billing. You've got probably three or four other people who are who are doing good numbers, and then some juniors coming through of soaking a bit of costs and wanting them to come through. That's probably a really nice sweet spot. The, the downside is you can't sell that business because yeah. it's it's so founder led. Yeah. Um, I think you're then taking a dip from that point. Maybe even up until sixty. Like I, I think, because you're 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 putting in beyond that point, you start increasing your churn rate because you lose that sort of team cohesion. You start losing your founders' billings because they get distracted. You start putting in other costs like uh, people people start wanting more stuff, so more benefits, more whatever. There's no longer this kind of startup mentality, um, and it's not really till you start going through the other side of those basic support costs that you start. Why sixty? What, what? Where does that number come out of? So, and I think I think there's a number that we open for challenge. I've been mean, see other people's thoughts are on this, but my perception is that you, as you start building from that fifteen, that fifteen, that ten, fifteen, really is really is a high point. I think once you start then adding in your finance team and your various other costs, you start then having to put in like a talent team in order to deal with the churn of people. There's kind of like an efficient structure where you get back to where you've got your founder probably supported by, let's say, three sort of senior managers, directors, and they've started to build out efficient teams. So it's once those teams start becoming efficient again. So I've really you've kind of got like you fifth, if you can get to a stage where you've got founder plus 15, like three t- three mini teams of 15. Yeah. That's kind of where that number comes from. So then you've also, that's not 60 billers, that's 60 people because you've probably got some support people in there as well. So if you get to a stage where you've got, let's say, 45 billers supported by 15 back, sorry, office. And back office and they're in one place, as soon as you start splitting it, you, need, you start ramping up the cost of your... Uh, why so many struggle to get to that point? So the amount of businesses that get to 30 and never get to 60 is insane. Like there's just so many. What and again, they would say that it's not for the want of trying. Like they're they've got those goals. It's not that they're sat enjoying the 30 man business. So what what do you reckon is the main reasons they don't do that? Uh three main reasons I'd say. One is I think you lose to earlier, just not being willing to let go. Mm-hmm. Like that sense of everything goes through me. I think that just slows down decision making and you can't progress. Two is being able to hire at a fast enough rate to replace the churn, hire and develop enough people to to to, to sort of take place losing. So there's kind of like this leaky bucket thing. It's yeah. really hard to get momentum to get past that. And then three is I I just think people's manage people often found recruitment businesses because they're great recruiters. That doesn't make them great business people and actually is a different skill set in terms of running a business like understanding how your support team work like what you need to invest in and not just getting attracted by shiny shiny things but like going this like okay maybe we do need to spend some money on the accounting system or it'd be quite nice if our if our billing system did actually work with our account like there's there's some detail that goes into the back of it and if, if you're not willing to invest in that and it's can, can be quite a big investment it's kind of like you look at oh i need this person this person this person that's going to take 200k of my profit this year. So, do I want do I want to take 200k of my profit? So, are people willing to make that yeah. sacrifice for that period to get through a thing that they're not they're probably not comfortable going through? Um, now, you, you, I have seen businesses where you get in the right market at the right time, you can accelerate through that because the market's just so good. They kind of end up in a space where their revenues and their staff numbers are so high that then they can kind of backfill some of the systems in place. But I think that's that's the easiest way to get through it. But it's that's a bit of a, a sort of a roadrunner approach. 
I'm interrupting this episode of the RAG podcast to bring you a message from our sponsor, Audro. You know by now that Audro are the number one video interview platform for recruiters around the world. Now, they keep bringing out new features from Audro Capture to Audro Producer, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. But now, recently, they've just announced a new feature to the platform, which is a complete game changer. During COVID-19, they realized that the recruitment audience, the communication was changing. Globally, their clients and candidates were, were using Microsoft Teams and Zoom more than anything else. The phrase, let's jump on a Zoom call or jump on a Teams call, has actually replaced the, the words video interview for a lot of their conversations over the last six months. Now, they were thinking, do we, I mean, how are we going to eradicate this? How are we going to make Audro the name that everyone talks about for, for the interview process? And they realized they didn't need to. They needed to integrate. So for the first time ever, they, they're the first video interview platform on the planet that have decided and managed to integrate with Zoom and soon to be integrated with Microsoft Teams. So with one click, after recording a Zoom video, you can now drag that into Audro and create everything else that Audro has, from adding the CV, the heat maps, the capture, and the producer elements. You get all the benefits of Audro before and after the interview, but you get to use Zoom, which is client-friendly on all levels. So this is massive. Teams is coming. It's the first time anyone's ever done it in our sector, and it is literally going to change the way you work in 2021. Get in touch with my friends over at Audro at audro.co.uk, or if you're already a user, reach out to your account manager to make sure you've got this feature. Back to the show. So when you were you came in at, say, 50, where was it when you left last year? Where was the business at? Uh, 88, we got it to. Right. So it's a steady, um, steady. was that a steady growth year on year over the six, seven years? Uh, steady, I would say steady, but... Not steady in terms of it. <laughs> it looks steady in terms of like headcount numbers, but where that headcount was was quite different. So we went, we did one startup, we did one acquisition. Um, we moved where staff were from. Uh, it was quite UK focused, and then by the time it was like in the UK, bigger in Switzerland, bigger in Singapore, uh, and in the States. So it's kind of like. Our revenues went from predominantly UK to being 50% overseas. Um, As you said, there's the multi-brand strategy. Um, Our management was quite different. Like when I first came in, we had 0% female management and we were 50-50 by by the end and like generally quite diverse. Um, So uh, steady, but quite a lot of changes under the hood. (laughs) It was... Was the business international when you came in? Did it have the, those four locations at the start? Uh, so it had it had quite a small small Singapore office, about four people at the time, and it had when I took over, I think it had like three or four three or four people in in May five in in Zurich at the time, um, and by the end Zurich was about twenty, and Singapore was fifteen, and the US. Uh, we had a team of about four focused on the US. Um, so quite nascent. Yeah, but I mean, I've, had a, I've literally just had a call from a client at lunch talking about the US, asking for some advice and which of my podcasts to listen to. Because, <laughs> um, what, All what of was, them, surely. Yeah, of course. But what, what's the allure to this interna- internationalization seems to be on the, on the tongue of any ambitious recruitment owner. What's the reason you guys were so, you know, why did you invest so much on that diversifying your portfolio so you didn't, it wasn't all based in London? Um, so to a degree, the initial diversification thing was kind of the hand I was dealt. Um, and that that's where we were. Um, so I, I can't really claim credit for the idea of going into Zurich or, or Singapore. Um, through those locations? Hmm. But I think in terms of we did what I did do, we did prioritize investing in those locations. Because I think the reality is the UK as a market is the most competitive, particularly in our space. Mm. Margin erosion. So it's highly competitive, margin erosion. And that, that was only going to continue. So if you if, if you look at the companies that are growing, they tended to be in these, in these overseas markets. Um, now, Singapore was really good by time by so towards the end but certainly the beginning of the challenge like i think there's singapore burnt a lot of recruitment companies 
you had this you had not a huge market and you had lots of companies going after it um but i think it's a combination the honest answer is why be international two reasons one is i think it's a good decision because people need to get out of the uk to get those growth rates secondly i think there's vanity involved as well in terms of people like say the international business so yeah there is there are good business reasons and there are ego reasons i, th- I think um, I definitely understand that. And when when you're running this business and what you're not an ex recruiter, like what were the key metrics or what were, what was the dashboard that you were so interested in? Like, you know, mm. when you're sat there as CEO of a group brand, what were the what were the levers you were watching all the time? And how are you how are you keeping on top of the business, both maintenance and growth? Hmm. Well, I think one thing I learned was to look more closely at some traditional additional metrics. Like I, we came up with some some new ones, but learned the value of some of the old ones. And I mean, the obvious ones like deals, CVs, jobs on interviews, and interviews in particular was the one I think yeah. watched the closest. Um, but in terms of my my sort of high level metric, I judge people by um, one was ASR. So like, what was the sort of the, the average deal number per person it, so it stood for adjusted starters rate so it wasn't as simple as it. it gave people a bit of like lead time into into how long they had for they could do a deal and that proved a really good indicator of um like comparability between units because there's always there was always this issue when i first came in like how do you compare contract and perm you, you look at you just look at nfi and you've got a hero on contract actually haven't done a deal in six months but they've been sitting on a nice book um so we had three one was an uh, asr so the sort of starters ratio. Two was net promoter score, because I think that gave a really good indication of like what were clients feeling about how did you get the how did you get the sorry to go into that, but how did you get the MPS delivered? Because I've had a lot of clients talk about this that they've got all the will in the world, but through say email marketing, clients you just don't get the responses. So did you drive it through consultants on the phone, having to get it on the phone and get it? Or what was the route to getting the numbers back for the MPS? So probably about five years ago, we we switched our compliance team called Customer Experience. Right. And so they still looked after compliance, but they took on a bigger role, which was to look at like not customer experience. And net promoter score was one of the things they they drove as well. So to make sure that like people were engaging with it, also following up on it. And I think that created a sense that we were actually listening to it and we were taking action off the back of it. So we 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 use various different technologies. We switch them over time between different net promoter score gathering uh, solutions. There are, there are quite a few of them out there. Um, but I think it's the engagement that we showed with it that, that made the difference. So you um, actually had a team of people who would not only send out request information or request results, but would then follow that up on email, on the phone, et cetera. Yeah, so, our, so the system would automatically send it out yeah. at certain stages of the process but then it would be followed up by this team yes yeah and that, that's the bit that i think people miss is actually invest again it, how much are you prepared to invest in this like are you prepared to pay someone's salary to find out where you're going wrong <laughs> well i think one of the really interesting things for me when i first came I, i'm a big believer in data having for a long time like num- numbers don't lie and i think we always assume like it, we always think we know our businesses really well and then but actually when you take a step back and you get someone who's really good at data to look at your business it throws out some really surprising things. I remember coming in and asking like what our retention rate on contractors were. And so the, the off the cuff answer was, oh, we retain all of our contractors. And actually the churn rate, when you looked at the details was was close to hundred percent. Like we turned over our whole book pretty much once a year. Yeah. That is an astonishing number and, and waste in terms of you, you're just not building if you're not retaining. So I think that customer mindset, both replying it to clients and to like contractors and candidates, is really hard um, to do it consistently because they often don't value value. I was listening to a podcast the other day about a guy who works in it. It's a different industry, but he said, you know, he built this tool for customer retention, and he his main business is customer acquisition, um, helping businesses win new business. and And he said, everyone says retention is their problem but they don't give a shit. Like he spent a million dollars on this platform in America and no one used it because they're like acquisition. Like business owners might say they want to retain customers, but 
when it comes down to it, they're more attracted to the acquisition of customers. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, because I think I think we celebrate. Like if you look at what we do behaviorally, I think we celebrate new clients more than we do existing clients. We celebrate new deals more than we do extensions. Yeah, like we reward often new deals more than we do extensions, even though they're probably more profitable. Um, mm. So actually, our both our behaviors, our reward systems, all of it reinforces the message of. It's, if it's new and shiny, you're going to get you're going to get praised and financially rewarded more for it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening, you're a recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. So tell us what went on then. In, in, in last year, you you sold this, the business. You've moved on. Um, give us tell us what, what's actually happened. So I've just been thinking about uh, selling for a while, um, and was talking to a few actually the year before, um, and then got chatting to Neil, who who bought the business. So Neil worked with me when I very first sort of took over as CEO. Yeah. Um, and we worked closely together for about three years. And after he left, we, we, we stayed very much in touch and he, and we just got chatting and just, it just, the realization for me is that I am ultimately not best suited, I believe to run a, a recruitment business, like, because I'm, I think to run a recruitment business really effectively, you need to really be in the detail. Like, I, th I think that's what I've seen as my learning. Like, it's all well and good having nice ideas, but ultimately it's a day-to-day, -day, where are the interviews, where are the jobs? Like, that, that, there is a certain mindset that makes you successful, I, I, I believe, in recruitment. And I, I just don't think I have that mindset. Like, I, I am more of sort of a, a, I like to empower, I like to do bigger picture, and I like to look at scalings fast. And ultimately, recruitment is a, you fight every inch. Traditional recruitment, I believe, is you fight every inch. You earn every yard. Um, and I, and I, I think I just lost the fight in the end, to be honest. Like, I, I, just, I just lost the willingness to fight those every yard. Um, yeah. And particularly when I was thinking about what the future of recruitment would look like and what, what I, because I'm still very excited about recruitment. Um, I just felt for the business, for my family, um, it was better off being run by someone like Neil, who's like died in the wall recruiter, loves it, lives it, does fight those, those hard yards, and was incredibly successful after he left and went to, to Dubai. I think he, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I was, if it was, it might be three hundred, but it was certainly two hundred percent growth he achieved in two years of training there. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just. It was it was it was the right it was the right time it was the right thing and it enabled me to fully focus on this idea around District Four, which is something that 
I think the res I had was like I came into recruitment from outside and I had all these ideas and I feel like kind of went halfway with them. I kind of went halfway with diversity. I went halfway with net promoter score. I went halfway with some halfway with flipping the organization chart. And I think District 4 was me going all in in terms of like if I take all of my ideas the furthest extreme they could go with a blank sheet of paper rather than trying to change something that already exists, what would I create? And, and the opportunity I have is like because I worked with Neil before, we can still collaborate on this. They're still providing the sort of the, the underlying platform behind District 4. So it's it's like a startup based on like a 20-year highly honed platform, which I was yeah. involved in building. So I trust Neil and I know the platform. And I can 100% focus my time on doing this, whereas I sort of dabbled at this idea maybe a couple of years ago. But you cannot run, you cannot do your day job and launch a business at the same time. And yeah. a, a new concept just doesn't work. So I just think it was, it was just time. It was just time to go all in. So tell us then, what is this business? like? If, how, what's the best way to explain it? So I, in a simple form, like, what if you could design a recruitment business around expert what an expert recruiter wants rather than what a recruitment owner wants because ultimately what a customer wants and i, I think general, like, if you believe that the customer is most important which i do like you said what does a customer value a customer value deals dealing with expert recruiters that's all they want they don't want to deal with juniors they don't want to deal with them. they just want to deal with someone who knows their stuff and if that's the case what does an expert recruiter want and if you look across most recruitment businesses, and I look and I include my own, like most recruitment businesses have like one or two, like maybe five percent of their recruiters are at this very top end. Maybe ten percent of their lucky, but it's a small proportion. Yeah. And most recruitment businesses are built around this idea of scaling around juniors. Because it's just the only way the model works. Just because of the churn rates and stuff, you just can't afford to take the risk on investing in experienced recruiters all the time. So if you flip it and go, okay, well, if the customer wants an expert recruiter, what does an expert recruiter want? District 4 is basically asking that question. It's like, how do you create the perfect environment for an expert recruiter? Like, what do they want? What do they value? And, and I think the answer is they want a greater share of what they're earning. So we provide 70 to 90%. They want complete freedom because they know how to do it better. Like, they don't need someone telling them what to do. They don't need someone watching their hours. They don't need someone telling them where they to, where they can work. It's, it just doesn't add any value to them at all. Um, and they like being surrounded by people they can learn from because most of them have plateaued and stopped learning because there's no one around them to learn. Like their business is investing in the juniors because they need to scale them up. And that, that there's no money being spent on them. And they've got one or two other peers who they can learn from. Um, and then they get accused of being selfish because they're not willing to share roles when actually, why should they? Why should they, if they can only give it to a junior, surely it's logical from a client perspective not to do that. Like that's not going to give a better outcome, but it makes sense from the business recruitment owner perspective because they, they need to scale up their juniors. So the, the, one of my realizations was there is this conflict within the recruitment business between the owner ultimately, and the team. There has to be because the, the owner has got so much cost thrown in in terms of overheads and you're fighting this battle. You're just trying to scrap over who gets where the percentage lands of a, of a billing. And it means a recruiter max gets maybe 50%, 45% of what, of what they bill because there's money spent on senior managers that expert recruiter doesn't value, money spent on juniors that an expert recruiter doesn't value, there's money spent on underperformers that an expert recruiter doesn't value. So there's all this money that's just just going out of the business that an expert recruiter is sitting there going, well, hang on a second, I just brought in 10,000 quid and you've just wasted, in their eyes, 3,000 of it that could be sitting in, in my pocket. So, yeah, that's... Look, it makes absolute sense. Um, you know, first question that I have is why would someone join district four on instead of doing it themselves so looking at the current market looking at the people that listen to this show i've probably had 100 messages from people that have listened to the rag and have ended up launching their own brand right and hmm. sometimes the show has been the neat been the neat the the push over the edge and and you know what that's probably that was like a hidden 
hidden hope of mine that this show would do because it was I only come up, I only I only came up with this show as a as a direct reaction to my own desire when I was the guy that you wanted. So I was the you know seven hundred grand biller that became a million pound team leader who was pushed to grow teams. And I, you know, if you'd have got if you'd have come to me at the end of two thousand and fifteen, I would have bit your fucking hand off because. <laughs> I was like, I'm literally on my own in this company. There's two or three people that are anywhere near my billings. Um, you know, I'm probably doing a third of the whole company's revenue on my own. I'm watching the investment in juniors. I'm not convinced I'm probably on the journey forever. Like, I'm not like, I, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. So, you know, and I wanted some, I would love to have listened to the rag. I wanted to be able to like, because you can't talk to your direct manager when you're thinking of leaving. You can't do it. So who, the, who do you speak to? So the rag was kind of the, the vision for that. And as a result, I've had loads of messages of people saying, Sean, you know, thank you. I've, I've launched my agency X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a, I've loved it. So, you know, the people listening in that, but why would they do join? Why would they join you and not? Mm. Do what everyone else does. Set up a website, buy a CRM, and just crack on in your underpants. It's never the underpants. <laughs> <but everyone's always. laughs> I think I think we're indoctrination to that underpant. Yeah, sort of visual. Um, it's a great question, and I probably probably easier for me to ask some of our members to answer why they why why they did it rather than doing it themselves. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think one is that there's a lot of stress that goes into running your own business in terms of it's more complicated than just buying a CRM and getting cracking. You've still got the finance side behind it. And so it's a little bit more complex. It takes a little bit more time to get it all set up. So there's, there's, there's a time and stress element to it. There's definitely a sense of isolation. Like when you're setting your own business and you're doing it by yourself, there is no real support around you. I think that's one of the things we've really found is that even with our first members, we try to give them like complete space like look you are your own boss you do your own thing but actually that can come across like where's the support i'm feeling a bit isolated and so we brought in things like coaching because actually people do need people do need support like it's it's emotionally challenging it's it's very isolating it's kind of you go through these up and downs and actually going through it with other people is incredibly helpful so i i think you get a better result quicker around doing it with other people um you also get in what we found is that if you're doing it with more people, you can get into bigger clients. There's more of a sense of like you're not a solo recruiter, you are part of something bigger. And, and then I think that sense of community is what people said. Like it's very hard to explain what it feels like when you're not in it. But when you when you're in it, it's like there is that sense of community which helps people perform at a higher level. So it's not the same as like, hey, if I did it all myself, I get a hundred percent. But it's a hundred percent of what? Like it's a hundred percent, probably of a lower number, which is spent. You're getting your time's getting pulled into other things. You're oh. less watered. You're more isolated. So yes, you could take hundred percent of it. But the numbers are a lot smaller. I'll be honest. I mean, I know I launched a marketing agency, not a recruitment company, but I massively underestimated how much work would go outside of the core business, like you know, and just even just fucking sitting there writing our own websites and. We we kept everything on a on an absolute shoestring when we started Hock. So I think we put about fifteen hundred pounds in between us, and and it was you know buy a laptop and that was it, and it was like go, and we did it. But it was lonely and it was dark, and there was uh, so many times I questioned myself, and you know, looking back, I was looking at my iPhone. Joe, you, know, you got your iCloud now. You can see every everything you've been through since. I think my <laughs> 2014 is when my iCloud kicked in, so it's I've got every photo, and and I I often scroll it and have a look at things, and I was looking at that 2017 because I I quit my job at the end of January and I launched in it was literally four years ago exactly now I was doing a I was in my garden leaving Feb I was doing some work for free for a company just to make sure we had the right model and we launched in March and it was exciting but looking back it was. God, there's so much I had to do differently now. And there's so much, you know, I, I could have fast tracked so much stuff. So I, I totally see that the value in the, in the, I think the community of all the things you've said, I think you can, you know, you can set up a CRM, you can set up a website, but you don't necessarily have the network at the beginning that, that of, of people that care. Like yeah. no one gives a shit. Once you leave that company, your emails get switched off. No one else cares whether you're, you might, your wife or your boyfriend or whatever might, but 
you're on your own or you're in you, you and your partner are on your own so having mm. having people around you that genuinely care whether you how you're getting on i think is big yeah i and i i think it's the caring like so matt who most recently joined us like he was up and running in a week as well so he like it is that community and his success is even before starting it's kind of like he started day one suddenly like you've got everyone in the community welcoming him it's kind of like a nice sense and like his personal website was ready like for when he started and sort of he had marketing materials ready to go and it's kind of you've got people to share that excitement with because you say it's a very lonely thing you're ready to go immediately and i think the other thing that i didn't mention was that the whole idea behind this is that the community is member driven so a lot of the ideas come from members and the decisions come from members and our, and our journey is that we're going to do like a fundraising. We're aiming to exit in in five years, and the idea is that members will buy in, and then they can be part of the sort of value journey at the end. And that is very definitely something you can't do as a solitary bedroom recruiter because, let's be honest, thousands of recruiters start each year, and I think probably about ten get sold. And and you're not selling at fifteen people; you're selling at fifty. And how many businesses get to fifty? So. That, that sense of like community ownership, community run, but also that kind of value that can be created by bringing together top lots of great top people is something that everyone will if share I, in as well. You, if I joined you and said, right, I want to be part of District 4 and I recruit insurance contract recruitment, what, what I used to do, right? Yeah. Could I carry on doing that? Do I need to adhere to something? Is there anything I need to change or how, how, how does it work? So when you say change, what, what, what do you mean? Do you mean on, alongside doing Hoxo? No, no, no. So I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually applying. Come on, Sean. Come on in. I, 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 you said at the start, you can't do things half-hearted. I'm actually really tempted, but now I can't do it. Um, but going back to when I was leaving, and I, let's yeah. just, like, I, I'm, I'm the exact persona I think you wanted. So mm -hmm. I want to launch, I want to join District 4. Do I need to, do you check, oh, we've already got someone doing what you do. I'm afraid you're not right. Like, what's the qualification, clarification process and, um, yeah. How do I like talk me through the steps that I'd go through to join the business and, and how it works? Okay, so there is we, we call we call our our people members because yeah. essentially we're a community and the people are members of it. So it's a different process to normal. So we have like a, sort of a qualifying bar, which is people need to be expert recruiters. We define that to people someone who who loves recruitment, like loves actually doing recruitment more than let's say managing or, or building yeah. teams. They need to be a specialist in a market, so not a generalist. So they're really bringing a sense of I'm really good at X. And they've probably billed 200K plus just because that's sort of a sign that they've really been able to deliver for clients. There aren't targets once people are inside, but there's kind of like a, there's, a, there's like a sort of a, a that's the entry criteria. Mm -hmm. um, first step is people would come to us. They're probably going to check out our join page, which is, district4.io forward slash join. And that sort of gives people an idea around just more about the model. First step would be a chat with me, just for me to understand a bit of a chemistry call, just me to understand what they're trying to achieve, then to ask me lots of questions. And I think that's where we do it differently is the first stages are really about the potential member asking us questions rather than us interviewing the member. So, it's really about them understanding the model, what they see to gain from, from the community. Next stage would be a chat with an existing member so that they could see if I was talking complete bollocks uh, and ask people how, what their experience has been alongside with a chat around systems and compliance just to see what support they would need to make sure that we could do it. So I mean, what we've learned is like some sectors like education, we're staying away from for the time being just because the compliance requirements are so specialist that we can't realistically offer it. And then the final stage is uh, business plan. And the reason behind that is it just helps people really visualize what they're going to do and enables us to get into sense check how we can support and what they're going to do. It means that from day one, they then have a plan as well. Um, and in answer to your question about niche, what we've, I think one of the really interesting things we've found is that I was concerned when we very first started that we'd end up in a situation where there'd be lots of niche clashes and that would be perceived as a bad thing. But what I have discovered is that when you're talking about expert recruiters, their niches become quite narrow. So maybe a junior recruiter goes, I'm a Java specialist. But an expert recruiter is probably a Java recruiter 
in a particular sector or in a particular geography. It tends to be, it tends to be narrower. The more expert we are, the narrower the niche we've found. So actually, we would have conversations if there was an existing member who we felt was very close. But what we found is our members actually welcome other experts in the community, particularly if they could collaborate with them um, because their niches probably don't collide as much as they yeah. think they might do. But if, you, if, if I come in and goes, I want to start hiring in my little unit, is that something you like now? That's not the model or how does that work? So at the moment, that's that's not, I suppose what we're not trying to do is build lots of, there are plenty of businesses out there which will support people starting and trying to scale a small recruitment business. And I just think that model doesn't, small recruitment is ultimately, I don't think are effective. I think what we're looking for people who really love recruitment and want to recruit. Now, it may be that they want to bring in a, a resourcer and help, and that's, that's something we're looking at. It's not something that any of our members of Cyber have asked for, but we're evolving all the time in terms of response to member demand. So we, like last week, we launched a new 90% band uh, in terms of retention. So now beyond 200K a year, people keep 90%. And that was in response to some uh, potential member feedback in terms of the bandings. So if we found that this was something that people really wanted, we'd look at how to how like if it was feasible and how to make it work yeah, but it's I'm thinking like you know time when you're a when you're a real top recruiter time becomes the biggest biggest asset right and even a virtual assess, assistant or something in in modern in modern day eras like can do wonders for you in terms of just taking away that real you know grunt work and if you if you had a model where you know that would be part of it i think that again that would be quite appealing um what's I suppose the two things we do do on that is one of which is we take care of all the compliance. So all the compliance is taken care of. So there's a team for that. Um, and there is also a delivery team that backs up as well. So if there are roles that people feel they can't fill and they, and they can't collaborate with another member on, there is a team where people can 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 pass it on. So they can, yes, they can pass it on. They still get revenue recognition for that. And it means they can stay focused. So uh, we are really trying to exactly say like what can we do to really magnify our members time so that they can really spend their time on stuff that they enjoy doing and get the greatest financial reward and that's mm -hmm. something we're constantly learning and is it contract and perm recruiters you're looking for yeah yeah, yeah. both yeah. um i think it's an i can see it like you know you, you're building that community of top performers could be a lot of egos in the room could be but the fact is they're all independent really so it's not like you know one collectively they're looking for a group goal of an exit plan but ind individually they you know they're just doing their own thing um what when it comes to equity how does that work like what, what would someone get if they join district four so they wouldn't get equity in terms they wouldn't just receive it i've, I've come to believe that options and receiving stuff for free just <laughs> People just don't value it. Like no. it's just a piece of paper that they kind of stick somewhere. Oh, that was nice. Someone gave that to me. Um, so what the plan is, we will do a fundraising round, probably every eighteen months, and each fundraising round will give members priority access to buy in. So we'll do our members first, then partners, and then external investors. And the idea is that we'll probably do three of those on the journey with a final sort of partial full exit in five years. Um, at that time, the community would still. Be thriving and still going. It's maybe that it's by that stage it might be fully member owned. It might be mostly member owned. It might be a combination of kind of VC and member owned. Some members might want to leave. Some members will stay. Like that'll evolve. But the the basic mechanism is semi uh, regular fundraising rounds, which allow you to buy in, and then we would give also members discounts on on the on the equity price as well. I love it. I think it's I think it's exciting. What do you think? Um, what do you think it'll look like in, in five years? Like how big do you expect it to be? Or you do you have a vision <laughs> for? God, different, different day. I'll, I'll give you a different answer. Um, I think what's really exciting about it, it's a very resilient model. So it doesn't need to be huge to be exciting. So yeah. even if you had, let's say, 50 recruiters if you had 50 expert recruiters in one business i mean that's pretty much unheard of in any recruit business what is unheard of mm -hmm. but if each of them are doing 200k plus 
that is a decent sized business which is highly profitable and very resilient so that in of itself i think is a very achievable place to get to in five years yeah where i think it could be and where where my kind of crazy entrepreneur we could we could like take over the world hat is on i think that number can be a lot bigger particularly when you start looking at different international territories and uh how it scales but at the moment we're very very focused on making sure that we, we look after our founder members help them be successful before we start focusing on the scaling element too much i think the scaling will come with success it wants the model like i i ultimately think it's kind of once once it's fully operational it becomes irrefutable like it's kind of like it's just it's just such an it's the comes the only choice for an expert recruiter like what else are you going to do you're going to stay in a, in a recruitment business and get paid a salary and take 40 percent of what, of what you build are you going to go in-house because you're bored of sort of company stuff are you going to sit in the bedroom by yourself like this combines the best of, of, of all worlds to me that's how it's designed to be and and it's continually getting better because we're continually changing it and evolving it in response to what our members are asking for. Um, and the great thing is because they're all expert recruiters, they've got all the smart ideas. And because I've made all these mistakes in the past about not listening to them, I'm now ears to the ground going, right, <laughs> you truly do know best. What? How, how, how can I make this happen? Um, I love it. James, we've run out of time, but I want to say um, thanks for giving us your time today. Um, super exciting brand and and um, uh, i'm i'm rooting for you i hope i know there's a there's a few other similar type products out there but um i haven't seen anyone dominate this yet and do what you're doing well so i really hope you can i want you know if i can help i'd love to be a part of helping you out and you know making yeah. sure that people listen to this show you know get involved and, and reach out um mm. If anyone does just want to pick your brains and perhaps they're not quite ready but they'd love to still find out a bit more you're open to a conversation Totally, like happy to have, to have any chat with no no commitment, and like we've got people who who are scheduled to start in six months' time. Like, yeah. how, the, many, the, how, the key, how many members have you got now? Uh, we've got five at the moment, um, and which is slightly ahead of where I thought we would be, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's entirely new. Um, the, 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 the key factor driving all our decisions is what is going to make our members successful. And one of those factors is the timing and how we can support people so they get up to speed quickly because clearly that that first six months is is the hard point. So I'm happy to have any conversation and just help how I can. And it may lead to nothing. It may lead to people doing it entirely on their own. That's also okay. And LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn, good place to get you? LinkedIn, or you can just drop me an email at uh, james at district4.io or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, we'll tag you in everything that goes out um podcast and, and videos um but thank you and you know what like we'll get you back on for sure at this at some point in 2021 to see how you're progressing because i I'm, I'm excited to see what you can do especially in today's market with the world hopefully going to be opening up in the next sort of three to six months it's going to drive people to make big decisions if you know if a lot of agencies are pulling their team back to offices and going back to traditional methods i've just seen a post in australia about how disappointed some people are the way that the, the 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 agencies have gone straight back to pre-covid behaviors and you know i think that kind of the people you're after are probably not they're not that in motivated by sitting in an office making hundreds of calls with graduates they probably want to be around their families and their kids and they want to you know they want to live a certain lifestyle their own way so i think you know i'm excited for you in the second half of this year um guys thank you for listening as always um if you enjoyed today's show if you know anyone who might be interested in what james has got to offer please do you know share the show put it in, a, in an email whatsapp text make, make sure people are, are listening to this um if you haven't already as well please check out our fundraising initiative project 500 um we are looking to try and get 500 laptops to into the hands of 500 children in the uk right now that are being homeschooled who don't have access to technology we have so far raised over 34,000 pounds in two weeks. We've got 200 children now with brand new laptops. Um, we're getting pictures through from the schools and you know videos from the kids. And it, it's been a it's been amazing. And, and the recruitment community, I mean, I've had clients put two grand, 3,000 for it. One's put 10,000 pounds in. Um, and, you know, this 
it's not a charity it's an initiative we're, we're getting this we're getting brand new devices out to kids that need it so um i would please 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 ask you guys if you're listening um jump on to project500.toxomedia.com listen to what like read what we're doing and donate anything you can afford because um together um we can make a massive difference to the to the futures of of people in our country that need it um i'll be back on friday at 11 a.m with an update on project 500 with my co-founders on the initiative chris redmond and tim rodel um, and i'll be back next wednesday with another episode from a recruitment leader around the world in the meantime please stay safe in lockdown and i will see you all very soon this podcast is brought to you by hoxo media We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, We've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing for. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, We can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.